Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio show. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is The Levite and the Concubine, An Interesting Pattern. I was studying the word one morning recently, and I noticed a pattern in the story of the Levite and the Concubine. Um, Okay, the story of the Levite and the Concubine is a story... I didn't like to read. I never liked the story. It was scary to me. And I never really understood it. I didn't know what it meant or why it was in the Bible, because it's just a horrible story. In fact, scholars refer to it as the text of terror. And that's pretty fitting, I think. I'm sure you've read it. It's in the book of Judges. Y'all read your Bible, right? I know y'all do. So, um... I was reading this story and I thought, okay, I'm just going to read it two, three times and see if I can, you know, figure out why it eludes me, what it means. And I begin comparing similarities with some, you know, another story in particular, and I saw something. So I want to just share with you today this story and a pattern that I noticed in it. Uh, And the pattern is, because I want you to listen for it in the people that I'm going to talk about, moral failure, then strife then destruction, in that order. And these these happen in the absence of repentance, okay? Because I believe that this pattern applies to people and nations. So I also begin comparing them, you know, a little bit to what's happening in America and other nations, and it just gets more interesting the more you look at it. So in the time of the book of Judges, Israel had turned away from God and gone their own way. Everything was kind of turning into chaos and lawlessness. I want to share with you a note from my study Bible that I think is interesting. Quote, the history of the judges has been called the struggle between faith and culture. End quote. I would compare that to America, only it seems like there's fewer and fewer of us that have faith. And without more people, I don't see how we could make a comparison with the time of judges. But anyway. So go with me now through a brief mention of several stories that all have the same common pattern, or I think they do. Patterns in scripture always mean something when you find them. And I think this one is kind of a spiritual law that if you have moral failure, and you know, you basically belong to God, if you have, you have moral failure, if you don't repent, then strife will come along and strife opens the doorway to every evil work. And then destruction. Noah. Noah was not a moral failure. He was the deliverer that God raised up in answer to the moral failure of all the mankind that existed, I guess, at that time. And the mocking and the lack of repentance. God always raises up a deliverer. He has all this time. That's how he's kept us all alive. The mockers sealed their own fate, just like they do now. Anytime you see that rainbow, remember, God always keeps his promises. We see a lot of rainbows these days, don't we, guys? Okay, Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah were deeply entrenched in wickedness, which is the moral failure. And the scripture says that two angels went to Sodom and told Lot that they had been sent to destroy the place. Okay, so Lot went to tell his sons-in-law so they could be taken to safety too. 
but they thought that he was making a joke, and they did not go with him. The moral failure in this story, obviously, is the wickedness of the people that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so Genesis 18, 20, and 21 say, And the Lord said, Because of the cry, and the cry here, this word cry means the outcry against. Because of the cry, or outcry against, Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. In other words, I'll go see if what I've heard is true. Okay, Samson. So with Sodom and Gomorrah, we saw moral failure, no repentance, then strife. Remember how the guys surrounded the house and they were trying to cause trouble? And then destruction. Okay. Samson. Samson was literally sleeping with the enemy. That's moral failure. Samson was born, he was dedicated as a Nazarite, I think in the womb. There was no razor had touched his head and all that, and God gave him supernatural strength, right? So he was supposed to be walking the line. He was anointed to fight the Philistines, not mate with them. Can I just say that? He was in leadership. He was a judge. So he was a ruler and had the opportunity to set a godly example. Samson worshipped beauty. And in the end, he lost his vision, his position, and his reputation over his idolatry with Delilah. He could have had so much more than cheap thrills with Delilah. Samson was a judge, a political leader in his time. Any time you choose sin with a person overdoing what God desires of you, you have entered into idolatry and you are in danger of God closing your eyes in a way that nobody else can open them for you. So there was moral failure, then strife. Samson got into strife. I mean, he was like ripping gates off hinges and getting into fights and you know all of that. So there was strife and then destruction. So I want to say that if you are called, to do something for God. Even if you are going your own way like Samson did, God will use whatever you're doing, but it will lead to your destruction if you're in sin and if you do not repent. Okay? The Bible does not lie. It does not lie and the rules are the same for everybody. Me, you, it don't matter. It's the same for everybody. They have not known nor understood for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see and their hearts that they cannot understand. You ever see somebody that just persisted against all advice and went their own way and did something and it completely failed and everybody else could see that it was going to fail except them? That is what you are seeing when you see that. That's uh, Isaiah 44, 18 is that verse. That is what you are seeing. God has closed their eyes and everybody can see the truth but them. Okay, so Jonah. Jonah's moral failure was running from the call of God on his life. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil ways, talking about Nineveh. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Nineveh escaped destruction because they did repent in time. Jonah, however, had a real close call. You know, I think Jonah had a little bit of an anger problem. He was angry when God tried to send him to Nineveh. 
So he took off running the other way and jumped on a ship. And he was also angry after God saved Nineveh. We can see that in chapter four. You know, I never thought of him as an angry person, but I think he was. And I think when we get to heaven, Jonah's going to be over there in the anger management department. I'm just saying. But in Jonah's defense, let me say this. Nehemiah 2.15 says, Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. Sometimes when we see what the Lord is asking us to do, we do turn back. Now, Nehemiah did end up doing the work, but it must have looked very daunting on that dark night to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Nineveh is interesting to look at. It was an ancient Assyrian city of Upper Mesopotamia and once was the capital of Assyria. In early modern times, it was known as Kuyunjik. Now located at Mosul, Iraq, Nineveh had walls nearly eight miles long that enclosed around 1,700 acres. There were many parks and water gardens. It was an important city on the north, south, and east-west trade routes. It was very, uh, it, it had a very good position for trading. And so it grew populous and wealthy because of that. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That was after God saved Nineveh. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? He was signing Jonah up for them classes when he said that. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth. And that was the whole gourd thing. But I don't even really understand the whole gourd story. But let me just tell you, God is going to save some people you don't like, okay? So I'm just telling you up front. He's going to save some people you don't like. Maybe we'll like them better when we get to heaven, huh? In Judges chapter 19, there is a sad and terrifying story. That's hard for us to understand. This is the Levite and concubine. I've read it, I don't know how many times, and felt so sorry for that woman. It is the story of the Levite and the concubine and what happened at Gibeah. It is called a tale of terror, which it clearly is. It's kind of a horror story in the Bible. So I'm going to read you this from Judges 17, in which 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I think we're in kind of a time like that too. So that's kind of a time of lawlessness. So in this time of lawlessness, there was a Levite who lived on the side of Mount Ephraim, and he took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. Before we continue, let's define a few things so we can be sure we understand the setting of the story. Let's define what a Levite is in biblical terms. They were the descendants of Levi, the son of Jacob and Leah. And according to BibleStudyTools.com, which I'm going to quote, quote, subsequent to the induction of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood, the entire tribe of Levi was set apart following the golden calf incident. They were blessed and chosen because their actions signified their loyalty to the covenant. Thus, the prophecy of Jacob that Levi's descendants would be scattered throughout Israel was fulfilled not as a curse, but as a blessing. 
Their zeal for the Lord caused the male Levites, except for Aaron's family who were already designated as priests, to be set apart as caretakers of the tabernacle and as aides to the priest. End quote. Okay, let's define concubine. I could not find a good descriptive definition of concubine except the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which says second wife. A concubine was basically a second wife, a subservient wife. She was kind of like an assistant wife and childcare person who was there for sexual pleasure and childbearing purposes. The first wife had the status and the power. Okay. Now, I'm fixing to read you a bunch of scriptures, so bear with me because you need to hear this whole story. We're in Judges 19 if you want to follow. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. Before continuing for the sake of accuracy, let me share that where the scripture says the concubine played the whore against her husband in the Hebrew Bible, certain Greek translations translate that phrase as she became angry with him. Now, I had never found this before this time I studied it. This interpretation is accepted by many, including the NRSV. I think of it as she turned her heart against her husband. You know, nobody just goes out and turns their body against their spouse. You turn your heart against them first. You start thinking things and getting resentful, whatever. And then you turn your heart against them. Then you go get unfaithful. Okay. Notice, too, that she did not run to a lover when she left him. She went to her father's house. That's going to be very important when I tell you this. And this story is going to make perfect sense when we're done with it. Finally, I understand it. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him and he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodge there. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart. And the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Comfort thine heart with the morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. And they sat down and did eat and drink, both of them together, for the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night, and let thine heart be merry. And when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him, therefore he lodged there again. And he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart, and the damsel's father said, Comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried until afternoon, and they did eat both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, this is verse 9, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening. I pray you tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to end in. Lodge here, that thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go home. But the man would not tarry that night, but he rose up and departed and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem. And there were with him two asses saddled. His concubine also was with him. And when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent. And the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. And he said unto his servant, Come and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. 
And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. And they turned aside thither to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he set him down in a street of the city, for there was no man that took him into his house to lodging. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim, and he sojourned in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim. From thence am I, and I went to Bethlehem, Judah. But I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that receiveth me to house. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me and for thy handmaid and for the young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And what he was saying is, all I need is a roof over my head. I brought my own food, and I brought food for the animals. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the street. It wasn't safe to sleep out there. So he brought him into his house and gave provender unto the asses. And they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, which means basically the sons of the devil, defined as useless, worthless, good-for-nothing, wicked men, beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. And if that reminds you of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it should, because that's how that happened. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into my house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, which means a virgin, by the way, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you, but unto this man do not so vile a thing. I am just so appalled that anyone would throw a woman to a crazed mob. Sorry, I just have to say that. But the men would not hearken to him, so the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them, and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. You know, they let her go at dawn because they did not want anyone to see the truth of the evil they were doing to her. What a horrible way to die. How terrified and tortured that poor woman must have been every minute of that night. No protection, no protector, no one to say and she's in a strange place, no one to save her from a mob bent on raping her until she died for their own pleasure. Okay, verse 27, moving right along, because I have to really hold my tongue on this story. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us be going. So in other words, it's like, Get up, let's go. I always thought that was so cruel that he spoke to her that way, considering he had thrown her out to the crazy people the night before. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and got him unto his place. And when he was come into the house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine, and divided her together with her bones into twelve pieces, and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. Because he was like, okay, what are we going to do about this terrible thing that's happened? 
Don't you just love the way this guy who heartlessly threw this woman to a mob of crazy people to protect his own hide then wants to punish somebody else for the results? So as I studied the story again and again and again over weeks, I don't know when I started weeks ago, I had a couple of different viewpoints that I was just kind of pondering. And I'm going to kind of tell you the things that I saw, and then I'm going to read you one that I found in researching that nails it. I will never wonder again what this means after reading that when it was, it checked all the boxes. And I want to share it with y'all so you're not confused either. So as I first reread it, I, uh, I saw it. In the story, a picture of the abuse and destruction the enemy wants to and could do to us if we turn our hearts away from the Lord our God. Remember, the text says that the woman went whoring away from her husband, but the original text in the Greek says she was angry at him. So I'm thinking she didn't actually do anything. They were just fighting all the time. But anyway, whatever. Okay. Then I thought, okay, maybe... She, you know, this was before I knew that that was what that text meant. I thought, okay, she was in sexual immorality and she was given over to her sin. You know, maybe that was what happened, being thrown to the mob. But now I don't think that. So I want to read you the conclusion of Professor Claude, and I hope I don't butcher his last name, Mariotney, Emeritus Professor of Old Testament at Northern Baptist Seminary. He nailed it, y'all. Mr. Mariotney writes of what happened between the Levite and his concubine, and I'm quoting from a, a website, Um Josephus wrote, they quarreled one with another perpetually, so they fought all the time. And at last, the woman was so disgusted at these quarrels that she left her husband and went back to her parents. It is evident that this rereading of Judges 19.2 reflects a better understanding of what happened between the Levite and his concubine. The fact seems to be that husband and wife had a big fight, that she probably was afraid for her life, and that she tried to find security and protection in the house of her father. Remember I said she didn't run to her lover. She went to her dad's house. She went home to daddy because she knew there would be protection there. The end of the story seems to demonstrate the basis for her fear. The Levite left his home, quote, to speak to her heart, to convince her to come home, Although the father of the woman was eager for reconciliation, it seems that she was reluctant to go with him. His willingness to sacrifice his concubine in order to save his honor may indicate that the woman's fear was real. So in other words, it had basis. His selfishness demonstrates that in the end, he loved himself more than he loved her, In quote. That is so good. And he adds later on in the article, today's generation of Bible students needs to know that this unnamed woman was not unfaithful to her husband. Okay, so Professor Mariotney's conclusion made all the pieces fit together and knowing those are the thoughts and feelings of a woman living in abuse. This has given me far greater insight into how the story of the Levite and the concubine happened so long ago. So what happened was they were fighting. She became afraid of him because she saw that there was no love for her in his heart, that he was self-centered and he didn't care about anybody but himself. So she's like, I'm going back home to daddy, dude. I'm out of here. And she ran to her father. She's like, I'm done with this husband thing and I'm out of here. And she went to her daddy and he came after her and she probably had told her dad what happened. So her dad was trying to keep him there and not let, you know, he, he couldn't stop him from taking his daughter, I'm sure, because they were married. but. 
How he threw her to the mob proves that that is exactly what was going on. He didn't think any, and then he's like, come on, get up, let's go. After they had raped her all night, get up, let's go. That is exactly the attitude of an abuser. It is a harsh, harsh life when you live with someone abusive. There is no love. There's no love. There's a lot of manipulation, but there's no love. So anyway, okay, moving right along. Let's don't get off on that subject. That's not going to help us. Okay, so moral failure, strife, and destruction. The moral failure in this case wasn't hers. It was his. And there was strife because they were fighting all the time, and it led to her complete destruction. And then him blaming it on the people who did it after he was so complicit in it led to a war that almost wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. So, yeah, okay. Anytime sin continues to flourish and there is no repentance, Satan will always introduce strife. And when strife moves in, the door to every evil work flies open. James 3.16, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Each one of those evil works opens up a door. And when there is only evil and no good, there can only be destruction. Another thing, one last thing that I see in this story is a picture of a nation that has turned its heart away from God and is not repenting. Can you say America? I don't know how many other nations fit that bill because I don't study the other nations, but it sure fits this one. I can tell you that. It definitely fits the nation of America. I can say that for sure. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right. In Repeat. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I hope that this podcast has been a blessing to you and that now you understand I know I didn't understand this story before. I don't I don't know if y'all already had understanding of it, but I thought it was interesting to see it from that point of view and finally get an understanding of what really happened and why, you know, like why is that even in the Bible? It's such a scary story. It is a picture of lawlessness and selfishness and no love. That woman was vulnerable. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. I hope this has inspired you to a closer walk with Christ. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., P.O. Box 854, Altus, Oklahoma. That's A-L-T-U-S, Oklahoma 73522 or by email at wingsofprophecy at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Do you know someone suffering from domestic violence or another form of abuse like verbal abuse? Did you know abuse has deep spiritual roots that cause abuse to be attracted to a person throughout their lifetime? Now, the Escaping Abuse Study Guide helps you discover and remove those spiritual roots so you won't be an abuse magnet. Get the Escaping Abuse Study Guide or get one for a friend. 
Available now on Amazon.com. Escaping Abuse Study Guide by Glenda Lomax. Available now on Amazon.com. What is in store for the once great and mighty nation of America in these end times? What is the living God saying to the people of America now? What could possibly be in store for a nation that once trusted in God, but has changed its path from following in the living God's ways to now removing Him from everything and walking the other way? In the book, No Longer Mind, you will find all the messages to America collected in one place in chronological order. No Longer Mind, Messages to an Unrepentant Nation is now available in print at wingsofprophecy.com in the bookstore tab. Get your copy of No Longer Mind today.